Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard, she heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For uh, she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kumi, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. While I was in seminary, I had the great privilege of studying under the late Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. Dr. Cannon taught ethics, and on the very first day of class, we came in and sat down, and there was a piece of paper at each one of our seats. The paper had a single line drawn across the middle, and on, in small print on top of that line were words like able-bodied, young, thin, healthy, straight, white. The list went on. Underneath the line were corresponding antonyms for each word above the line. Disabled, old, fat, sick, gay, black. We all looked at these words silently. We didn't know what to say. And as Dr. Cannon began class, she said, those above the line are who are valued by society. And those below the line are punished and ignored, those who are deemed unvaluable. She continued, she said, your job as followers of Christ is to care for those below the line. Look for the most vulnerable person in the room and put their needs first. Work to erase the line so that one day it won't even exist. The image of that line has stayed with me since that very first ethics class, following me into every room I enter and every situation that comes up. I thought about it this week because many of the words on that sheet had to do with our bodies. Today, as we continue our series, The Stories Justice Needs to Tell, we are talking about justice for every body. That's our flesh and our bones. Now, as we explore this topic today, I realize that some of us might be a little uncomfortable in our bodies as we have this conversation. After all, so much of what goes on with our bodies nowadays and how we treat our neighbors' bodies are influenced by politics and divisive language. But our bodies do not begin with imperfect policies in the government. Our bodies begin with the divine. Our creator breathes life into us and forms us into living beings. So our conversation today is a story of healthcare, a story of women's rights and of socioeconomic differences. And hearing those words, your minds might rush to healthcare policies or arguments from the blue side or the red side, but I invite us, I challenge us, to put those sides, those thoughts aside. Our bodies belong to God, so I'm reclaiming this conversation from the political arena 
to this sacred space. This is a holy conversation because the work of caring for every single body is the work of God's justice. If you'll remember back to the beginning of our series, Jenny defined justice as the restoration of relationships between God and one another. And those relationships include our bodies, our whole selves. She also said that no one made in God's image is ever disposable. And that means no body is ever disposable. You begin with the divine. Your neighbor begins with the divine. So let's begin today trusting in God and in one another. Our story in the Gospel of Mark is a good place to start this conversation. It's a story about two women whose names we don't know, whose lives are literally intertwined with one another. This is a healing within a healing, and one of several places that Mark intersperses one story with another so that they will complement each other. And because these two stories are so intertwined, there's a lot going on. First, I want you to notice there's an immediate disruption of socioeconomic status between Jairus and Jesus. We know from the text that Jairus is one of the synagogue's leaders, and such leaders were highly esteemed and very well-to-do. He would have had a lot of resources at his disposal. And when he sees Jesus, he falls to the ground and begs Jesus to heal his dying daughter. Jairus is used to being in a place of honor, yet in this case, he honors Jesus to seek help. He's not afraid to humble himself in front of a large crowd, his own community, to get the help that he needs. So already, early in this story, we see a father's love for his child breaking down those socioeconomic boundaries to seek healing and wholeness. As the story continues, Jesus is following Jairus to the house when he encounters a woman who has been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. Now again, we don't know this woman's name. We don't know anything about her family. There's nothing in the text about what support she has. No one to advocate for her the way that Jairus is doing for his daughter. But what we do know is that for over a decade, she has sought help. Help from medical professionals, which led to more suffering and used up all of her finances. She was destitute, out of resources, and her condition was growing worse by the day. To make matters worse, if her bleeding was related to menstrual bleeding, she would have also been in a state of perpetual impurity. According to the purity laws in Leviticus 15, that meant that she would not have been able to participate in the religious activities in her community. While she was bleeding, she also ran the risk of making others impure if they touched her, touched her or came into contact with her. People would have avoided her. So besides draining her finances, this 12-year illness 
had also isolated her from her community. She was desperate. So desperate that she was crawling on her hands and knees through a thick crowd just to touch the edge of Jesus' garments. And the moment she does is astonishing because this woman's healing occurs at her own initiative. She doesn't ask for healing. Instead, she violates social and religious codes to claim healing for herself without permission from anyone, without even compliance from Jesus. She risks everything to be made whole again, and her faith and her courage pay off. Verse 29 says, Immediately upon touching Jesus' garments, now this is before Jesus and her have spoken to each other at all, immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But the story doesn't end there. Scholar Frances Taylor Ginch points out in her book, Back to the Well, that Jesus refuses to let the woman remain invisible. Verse 30 goes on to say, Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now keep in mind, Jesus is in a large crowd of people. We're talking shoulder to shoulder, the type of crowd that kind of pushes you in whatever direction the crowd is going. You can't even see the floor you're walking on. You've all been there if you've been to williams Bryce Stadium leaving the game trying to get to your car at the same time as thousands of other people. It is that type of crowd. And yet, in the midst of all of the elbows pushing and bumping and shoving, Jesus felt the brush of fingertips and the power of the Holy Spirit shifting within him. The woman's touch was different than all of the others. She was compelled by faith, and Jesus was sensitive enough to her needs to feel her presence before he even laid eyes on her. And notice what he did. He searched for her until he found her. He acknowledges her. He calls her daughter. And in an instant, she is no longer alone and without family. Jesus draws her out so that she's, in, she's visible and gives her space to speak and tell her story. He could have taken this opportunity to scold her about how many rules she had broken. But he doesn't. He empowers her. He claims her and restores her to community. This woman sought healing on her own and she got it. But Jesus' actions made her whole again by helping her move from shame and rejection to being seen, known, and restored. Now in the midst of all of this happening, Jesus doesn't forget about Jairus' daughter. Although the crowd of people say that she has died and Jesus is too late, 
he continues to the house and restores the little girl to life with a touch of his hand. So you see, the needs of both of these individuals were important to Jesus. The money in their bank account didn't matter to him, and even on the way to a medical emergency, he was still sensitive to the needs of a woman in the crowd he couldn't even see yet. The touch of the once hemorrhaging woman was not a distraction. It was just as much a part of his ministry that day as was healing a 12-year-old girl. And this is God's justice. Work that refuses to let people remain invisible. Work that heals suffering bodies and restores individuals back to wholeness in their communities. Work that empowers people to speak and share their stories. Work that is never too busy to ignore the needs of those around us. So what is our task? As followers of Christ, what do we do? Well, first, we remind ourselves that we're not Christ, and that's a good thing. But people are not healed in an instant just by touching our jeans or our sweaters. But that doesn't mean that we can't do what Jesus does. Remember, he's being sensitive to the needs of others, constantly making time and space for those who are hurting. We can do those things. We can be sensitive and we can look for and notice the needs of others and make time and give energy to help restore people to wholeness, whatever that may look like. In recent days, here in the United States, there are a lot of bodies that need attention. There are a lot of stories that need to be heard. Pregnant black women's bodies are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women in America. In fact, the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate of any high-resource country. And it's the only country outside of Afghanistan and Sudan where the rates are rising. Transgender bodies who are subject to an increased amount of violence. According to the National Center for Transgender Equality, more than one in four people who identify as transgender has faced a bias-driven assault in their lifetimes. Veterans' bodies, bodies with disabilities, bodies battling long-term illness, bodies that house mental illness, bodies experiencing homelessness, bodies that disappear along the border as people flee danger and seek safety. Possibly your own body possibly the body of your neighbor. It's a long list, and we may not be familiar with the experiences of all these bodies, and that's okay. We're not meant to be experts on someone else's reality. We're only experts about our own lives. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn a lot about the lives of those around us. 
And we do that when we follow Christ's example. We can listen. We can give bodies space to speak and share their stories. We can stop using those bodies for political debate and get back down to the human level. Listening to the stories justice needs to tell right here on the ground. Listening, noticing, affirming individual lives who are clawing at the ground, begging for wholeness. Because so often in hearing someone's stories, transformation takes place. And as Jenny said last week, justice depends on relationships. And relationships begin with our stories. So one story I wanted to share with you all is that of my friend, Hannah Setzer. Hannah and I became friends through our church in Richmond. She's a wife and a mother to four boys, one who is fully adopted now and three that she is fostering and hoping to adopt. She's a small business owner and an advocate for inclusion and accessibility for everybody in her community. You see, Hannah also happens to have cystic hygroma, a cyst-causing condition that has left her needing facial surgeries and unable to close her mouth and her eyes. And this leads strangers to hurl insults at her. That's a scary face. Shut your mouth. What happened to you? I'd never support the business of someone who looks like you. Those are just some of the things that people have said to her this month. Hannah says she's used to it, but she also thinks it's ridiculous that disabled people get talked to like that. I agree. Hannah was recently the subject of an article in the Washington Post because she and her husband have an incredible goal and important work they are doing. They want to make their community more accessible for people with disabilities. They want to build an accessible playground in a community center complete with businesses that will employ disabled adults and foster youths who are aging out of the system. They envision the place bringing together people with visible and invisible disabilities and allowing them to play, to shop, and if needed, just to do their laundry together. Hannah says, we have big dreams, and this is not the end solution to ending inequality, but it's creating something here where there's not a lot for the community. Hannah is being sensitive to the needs of those around her. She has spent time down on the ground and has claimed wholeness for herself and now seeks to help others who might still be going unnoticed. She's a follower of Christ, taking notice of bodies in her community that need attention. And we can do the same. We humans have a history of valuing some bodies over others. And when we lose ourselves within that system, we contribute to injustice. That system diminishes and shames. 
and we're called to a better way. A way that affirms the image of God in every single human being. A way that is God's justice at work. We're called to do the things Jesus did, to be sensitive, to look for those who are invisible, to empower. And we're challenged to continue that work until one day that line on Dr. Cannon's handout will no longer exist. There will be no need for anyone to crawl on hands and knees and risk everything for the chance to be healed. And until that day comes, we will keep asking, who is the most vulnerable? Who is most at risk? What stories are not being shared? How can I adjust my behavior? What can I learn? These are the questions of justice. May we keep asking them. Please pray with me. Holy God, we love you. Help us love you more. Amen.